what defines your edge is your identity now. That determines when you're happy. This determines when you're sad. This determines when you feel empowered and disempowered, and abused and not abused, well-treated and not well-treated. It's all defined by sitting within the veil of the separation of your own thought process as there being a correct or right way for you to be treated and a bad or incorrect way for you to be treated in relationship to others. If the difference between self and other isn't inherently existent, then you're left with what kind of feeling? False feeling. It's not so much a false feeling as it is a artificial feeling. And that's what the ego is. It's an artificial boundary produced to defend itself against being swallowed up. And it's not that it's there that it's a problem. It's that it's there when it doesn't need to be there. And fundamentally, it doesn't need to be there 99% of the time. But it is there 99% of the time because we're always terrified that we're going to be mentally ill, subsumed into other, or dissolved into others, or controlled or manipulated by other, and lose our sense of independence and freedom of uh, identity, which is illusory, which is why you can become mentally ill, because they're, they're terrified of that. Whereas the mentally health person is kind of a bit more easygoing about that. So what's the awakened consciousness? Simply that. The awakened consciousness is the being who doesn't see themselves as being inherently or uh, existentially separate from anybody or anything else, including the Hitlers and the Mother Traces, the Genghis Khans and the uh, Dalai Lamas or whoever you want to put in there. It's, it's a consciousness that says you and I are one being, you and I are one consciousness, we have work to do, let's get on with it, and enough already with the am I empowered or disempowered. Now, of course, if you have a person who hasn't got that part together yet, that's a step. You don't give the keys to a car to a five-year-old. You gotta First, got to learn how to work the pedals and stuff, right? So it's a step process. But in essence, in fundamental essence, humanity is one consciousness, laboring under the illusions that it is in separate bodies. And that's the source of all suffering. The source of all personal suffering is seeing yourself as separate. Does that eliminate problems? No. But the problems become what? Creative tension versus emotional tension. Yes. Does it mean that you you know supposed to judge what's good and what's bad? I think uh, it changes the criteria about how you decide what's good or what's bad. So, um, and if you look at good and bad from a point of view of your cultural or social or gender conditioning, right, you'll have come up with certain answers. If you look at what's good and bad from the point of view of the dog versus the human, you're going to get a different answer. So your dog thinks he should be able to sleep on your bed. That's good. <laughs> and he shouldn't have to go outside to pee. He should go to pee on the rug. That's good. From the dog's point of view, going outside to pee or not being able to sleep on your bed is bad, right? So these good and bad terms are quite relative. Now, from a human point of view, we have some basic rules that are good and bad because it's more conducive to getting on with the job. So not stealing, right, not lying, not uh, not um, killing or murdering, 
not like getting drugged out to the point of you know not being able to function. These things aren't helpful for getting to Tokyo. So we could say because they're not helpful for our journey to Tokyo, they're bad. But there's no real reason that on any given day someone can't go have a party and get drunk and have a good time, right? But maybe just as a way of kind of, and then tomorrow you're back at it, right? Unfortunately, since humanity in general isn't really quite ready to embrace Tokyo, they have to have a false Tokyo. And the false Tokyo is entertainment. So the, the current Tokyo for most humanity is entertainment, whether it takes the form of sex or drinking or shopping or travel or movies or how else do we entertain ourselves, uh, doing games. Yoga. Hmm? Doing yoga. Doing yoga. <laughs> right? no, this is a good example of the yoga because yoga, of course, historically is a spiritual discipline. It's not simply looking good in a bikini or, or exercise or feeling good particularly. I'm not that we want you to feel bad, but yoga was actually developed and created by meditators in order to relax their bodies so they could continue meditating. And so this is not the fault of yoga per se, but but it is uh, uh, the current paradigm is that yoga has been subsumed under the entertainment umbrella for most people. And of course, there are exceptions. If you're with me on this and you uh, agree with the principle, then your good and bad may change. Your idea of what is good may be different now than it was before. So good and bad is negotiable, depending on what view you're starting with. So as your view changes, good and bad changes. There are maybe some rules that are useful for a broader vision of what good and bad is that I would suggest. One, is it conducive to Tokyo? In other words, is it helping us, either as an individual or as a group, to move more towards Tokyo. If it is, then I would call it good. Is it okay if everybody on the planet did that thing or, or behaved in that way or, or said that thing or acted that way? Well, if it's true on the first point, it'll be true on the second point. In other words, if it's conducive to getting us to Tokyo, it should be okay for everybody on the planet to do it, right? So obviously, Everybody on the planet owning their own jumbo jet is probably not good because we can't afford, the planet can't afford to have every human being own a Boeing 747. Therefore, that would be bad. Is it okay to have a lot of garbage that isn't recyclable? Uh, from a planetary point of view, this is not good. Therefore, you would say unrecyclable products or chemical pesticides in chemistry that is not dissolvable by the planet or recyclable in some ways would be therefore bad. But when we say now that when we say good or bad, we're not saying good or bad in the sense that the person who uses the chemical is a bad person. We just say it's a bad act. So as my teacher said, you hate the sin, not the sinner. So you, you, you're against the using of pesticides, right? but you're not against the person who uses the pesticides because for them, it's good because it makes them more money. So it, what I'm trying to say is the scale, your scale changes according to where you're... So what's good for you uh, today may not be good for humanity or the, the awakening tomorrow. 
but now you have to start saying, well, is this good that everybody did this? No. Then maybe I better not do that, right? Or is it is this conducive to getting to Tokyo? Yeah, it wouldn't hurt. It would help. Then you go, okay, well, it's not so bad. And there was a third one. I can't remember. Like, would it be okay if everybody knew? So, for instance, say K was the head of a, a, a Tokyo Bank, and K took a million yen, 10 million yen, out of the bank and went to Hawaii and bought a house. And would it be okay if everybody knew that? Well, <laughs> if everybody knew that, they would get upset and they wouldn't like it. Therefore, it's probably not good. Probably. But again, it's going to depend on where the, where the scale is. As your wisdom and compassion deepen, the scale moves. So what your mom and dad might think are good and bad, true for them where they are now, but as they move to awakening, that may not be true anymore. This, the good and bad may shift, and the scale may shift. So the next step then becomes, what's your next step in terms of moving to Tokyo? What's your individual vision? What's your personal vision? Is Tokyo on the map, or are you happy with Shizuoka and Nagoya? From the awakened point of view, there's no judgment about whether you go to Nagoya or Tokyo. We're going to argue that you'd have no choice, <laughs> that if this lifetime or next lifetime or the lifetime after that, you're going to Tokyo, because that's what the species is doing, assuming it doesn't go extinct. And if it does, the awakened consciousness will just pick up a different form that it can work with or create it. In fact, you could argue that the awakened mind actually separated humanity from the monkey in the first place, that it was the awakened mind that brought us out of monkeydom and moved us into humandom, and it will continue to do that journey, regardless of what humanity does or does not do with itself anyway. But that's getting a little bit back to the big picture. And Now I'd like you to focus a little bit on, on your personal or individual journey. So... Imagine that you are in a particular city and you're going to Tokyo. And let's imagine that it's not Tokyo. Right? Let's imagine <laughs> let's imagine that you're not already a Buddha, but that you're somewhere around Buddhahood, you know, maybe Hokkaido in the cold. And you're gonna make your journey to Tokyo, metaphorically speaking. What do you need to do personally to move your little organism a little bit down the road towards Tokyo. How do you determine what that is? How do you see what it is? And what might it be? Person in other words, what is your personal vision in relationship to Tokyo? And what kind of actions or behavior or lifestyle or creation do you think you need to help produce in order to be more conducive to that? Okay. This is something you can work on a bit on your own. But did anybody come up with anything that they want to share, just by way of example? And if not, what do you think would be a map? What kind of map do you think you could use to help yourself here? The first thing that I thought of was to be able to identify the obstacles. Yeah, exactly. So now what would be... What would be a defining obstacle? How would you define the obstacle? What's what's the easiest way, easiest, fastest, simplest way to see where the obstacle lies? When you get upset? 
Wherever you get upset, that's where the obstacle is. Money, power, control. Other people, certain kind of people piss you off, you know, certain kind of guy, you know, know-it-all kind of guy, you know, you know, okay. What's the, see, that's the edge of the boundary of self, right? Or your dad, or, you know what I mean? You can use those kinds of things to show you exactly where you see him as an enemy, right? For, for example, I mean, it may not be your particular issue, but whatever it is, that, you know, that's, that shows you where the, where the issue is. Anything you're super attached to and you can't give up would be another, would be the flip side to it, where, you know, I couldn't possibly give that up because that's who I am and that's me and i got to hang on to that, it's mine, right? That would be another place. So this is very good, the obstacles and or the attachments. Oh, I couldn't possibly give that up because my life would be over as I know it, meaning that your ego is identified with that separation, that boundary, that barrier. And... uh when we talk about obstacles, both in their positive, or in, in terms of like things I like, <laughs> and obstacles in terms of their negatives, things that I'm afraid of or don't like, then you have a broader issue that encompasses both of those, and that broader issue is communication. And when I say communication, I don't mean just talking to each other, but I'm communication in terms of cell-to-cell, energy-to-energy, mind-to-mind, um, interfusion, so what would be the boundary between you and that guy, right? Um, well, because he's coming from a paradigm of bad, <laughs> right? and you're rebelling against his illness rather than being his cure, right, if that makes sense. Now, you can't move him to Tokyo, right? That's not in your power. But you can move yourself to Tokyo by seeing him not as an enemy or as a uh, threat, but as a, a kind of a cancer <laughs> in your body. So you, rather than putting him out, you pull him in, that he's part of my body, he's part of who I am, he's part of me, right? And, and, and he's, uh, this cell needs protein or, or I don't know, uh, you know, whatever it is, right? And that change in view in you, curiously enough, will disarm him more right, than a obstructionist, Fighting, which doesn't mean you become a doormat either. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but that that is once you are no longer on the platform as the enemy, or the opponent, his energy throws himself as in an aikido move. Right, he ends up on his ass through his own badness, and maybe we'll learn. But if you stand up as the opponent, ego identity fighting against being controlled and dominated and all that stuff, and it just reinforces his ability to remain in that position because that's what exactly he needs from you to continue to run the program. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in terms of the obstacle, you know, that's that's one way of working with it. And, and then that's a communication issue, right? How do you communicate with bad indicates how free you are from bad. And on the other side, how good do you communicate with good shows you how free you are from good which means I don't have to hang on to this. I don't have to be the person who knows. I don't have to be the person who runs it. I don't have to be the person who's got it all figured out. Or, or I don't have to hang on to these kinds of sujokas or nagoyas in order to be me, in order to be free, I guess. I can go to Tokyo and I can trust that when I get to Tokyo, life will conspire to support 
whatever it is I had to give up previously. So someone said to me once, a woman said to me, well, I don't want to be alone and isolated and just a, an awakened being by myself in nowhere. And I said, I said well, what, what gave you the impression that an awakened being is alone in nowhere by themselves, right? Usually when you get awakened, people won't leave you alone. <laughs> they just want, they want to be around. Right, but she saw, you know, she had an image in her mind, right, that, that this is kind of alone and nobody loves you and you can't love anybody and there's no touching and, you know, you, you probably never smile and you, go, you just go, om, you know, om, and om, you know, how, what do you think about, you can't be angry, you can't be sad, you're just going to kind of a dead thing, om, no feelings, you know, and who, this, who, whoever, nobody's ever advertised the awakening this way. Although it is a bit of a Theravadan underlay there, because it's about renunciation. But the idea of renunciation in the Theravadan path is to give up attachment to the feelings and emotions and so on, not, not to have them. Mm -hmm. from, the, from the Arhat point of view, which is the, the sum bonum of the Theravadan path, the, the definition is not no dragon. The definition is one who rides the dragon. So the difference is whether your emotions and your psychology ride you on your back or whether you're riding on the back of your emotions and your... Right? So the Arhat is the person who rides the dragon. It's not like a flat... It's not a flat EEG line. One of the other definitions is, of course, the inner and the outer are the same, that there's no separation between what's experienced here and what's experienced there. And the third definition is uh, one whose chains have been broken, so the chains of the ego separation, the chains of the ego identity have been broken. And the last definition is uh, worthy of receiving gifts. If you think about it from the point of view of humanity, what should you be rewarding? Tiger Woods, uh, what's that baseball guy? Ichiro. Or, or the Prime Minister of Japan or the head of Honda. Who should, be, who, who should society be rewarding? Yeah. Well, somebody who gets you to Tokyo, I would think. You know, the Dalai Lamas or, or, or people like that. And the, the reason for rewarding them is, of course, not to make the Dalai Lama rich, but simply because it tells you what's the most important thing to you. So you can tell what's the most important thing to you by what you reward the most. So what, is, what do you reward the most in your life? Clothing, you know, housing, food, you know. Yes, these are good, and we're not... And, and the Dalai Lama put this in a really good terms. He said, your opportunity for uh, awakening comes in every moment, and especially in the ones that are difficult, because it's the difficult moments that show you exactly where you are in relationship to Tokyo. You know, you fail, you fail. Everybody falls, everybody trips. But remember, when you trip, you always fall forward. When you don't walk, you don't go anywhere. <laughs> For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you.